Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Turn your Bibles to the book of John chapter 16, and we will continue our series on what we believe. So many people would ask, what do we believe? And I would say, well, let's get started. So, or I'd say, come to this sermon series. It's going to be several weeks. We started with what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God the Father, God the Son, and now we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And just to back up a little bit, we don't have a right to say anything that the Bible doesn't say. So we don't believe anything, we shouldn't believe anything that doesn't come straight from the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate authority. Now, if you tell me who the authorities are in your life, I can tell you what you're like. And when it comes to our faith and our practice, if you claim anything else as an authority other than Scripture, then uh, there's a good chance that you're on on an errant path. But the Bible speaks for itself, and so what we talk about comes from the Bible. Now, this sermon, this message, will be a a thematic exposition, meaning we will look at several different passages, and as you know, what our, our custom here, and what we usually do, we take one passage, and we go verse by verse, sometimes we go book by book, but in this subject of the Holy Spirit, we wanna take a 10,000 foot view, and look at what the scripture says about the identity and the works of the Holy Spirit. So last week, we looked not only at the Holy Spirit, but the Trinity, Admitting that the Bible never uses the word Trinity, but the Bible specifically describes the Trinity. And in fact, it's, it's hard to come up with any other analogy or definition of God other than using a triunity, one God in three personhoods. We looked at the Holy Spirit last week and looked at his, his essence being omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, having all knowledge, all power, he's everywhere at once. It says it right here in the Bible. It also says that he has mind, will, and emotion, that he feels you can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says that he has chosen certain people to give certain gifts to, and uh, his mind, and that we learn the mind of the Spirit, Romans chapter eight, and walk accordingly. So we see that the Holy Spirit is God, is all-powerful. But then it leads us to a question, what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do to you? And I think the way you answer this and your ability to grasp this has more to say about your maturity, your spiritual maturity, than almost anything else. This is a vital subject for the body of Christ. This is a vital subject for your walk with the Lord. And so let's just look at it. What does the Holy Spirit do? Number one, he draws and he convicts those outside of Christ. So outside of the Holy Spirit moving, according to Romans chapter three, verse 10, it says, no one is searching for God, no one sees God, no one wants God, people just want our own selves. Because Romans 3.23 says, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, at the moment of conception, has been separated from God, you are a child of God by creation, but you're not a child of God by relationship. You are lost, you are doomed, and you are headed in the wrong direction. 
You, have, you are wayward towards God at the moment you take your very first breath. I mean, face it. Some of the most radical people on earth that are the most destructive are younger than four years old, right? I mean, they're just, they're vicious. In fact, Martin Luther said that if God didn't make children ignorant and uncoordinated, they would kill you, right? We know that. And so you don't have to teach a kid how to do wrong things, they just do. You didn't have to go to school to learn to do bad things, right? You could lie, you could cheat, you could steal, you had anger, you were mad, and you wanted your crib your way all the time, right? You wanted the milk hot, you wanted the cereal in front of you, and you, you just wanted life your way, right? And then you realize that self and sin leads to destruction until, listen, the Holy Spirit starts to draw you. Listen to what it says. Romans, John chapter 16, verse eight says, when he comes, that's Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> when we preached through and we taught through the book of John, we saw that chapter 14 starts hammering the Holy Spirit, starts hammering that, that truth and beating it out to where we can see it nice and clear. Then chapter 15 really becomes the essence of the last conversation Jesus had with the disciples. It becomes the central thought. Then it goes back into 16 about the Holy Spirit. So you got the Holy Spirit, love one another, chapter 15. Then chapter 16, he picks back up with the Holy Spirit and he says this, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So without an internal conviction, you would not have come to Christ. In fact, if you haven't come to Christ, it's because you've been resisting that conviction that's within your heart. There's a natural conviction that, so there'll probably be some anthropologists this week working on the backside of Papua New Guinea and they'll find a new people group and when they walk into this new people group that has never had any conversation with anybody or maybe they're deep in the Amazons and they discover a village that they've never found before, there are some things you already know about that village before you meet them. Number one, they know there's a code. You don't steal, you don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't commit adultery, you don't murder. They know that. Why? It's baked into your soul. That's the Holy Spirit, you know not to do those things. When I talk to somebody and I've never met them before and I'm wanting to know if they know Christ, I already know that they know that there's sin and there's righteousness, that there is a God. I've already started from that point. Even if somebody wants to argue that there is no God, I already know that they know there's a God. And so we just start from there. I remember one time my wife was, uh, someone was helping her out with some, some groceries and it was a really, really smart guy. He, he was a brilliant Guy, he, he'd spent one year at college and so he knew everything. You know how that works. And so she started to share the gospel and, and this, was, this was on Camp Wisdom in Duncanville. And as she was talking, he goes, actually there is no God and here's why. And he went into all these kinds of theories and all these kinds of proof and I'm learning this and I'm learning that. And she hands him a tract and said, Jesus loves you. And he says, I know. You just know. So we can start with that, why? Because here's what the Holy Spirit does. God the Spirit, who's omnipotent, omnipresent, is convicting the world of sin that we need God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so you boldly, when you share your faith, you know that's what's happening in the hearts of the people. Also, you just know that the Holy Spirit is always going. That's what Jesus says, that's what Jesus says. Number two, what else does the Holy Spirit do to you? the Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. So when the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and you repent and you turn to Jesus, the one who can save your soul from hell, the one who died on the cross for you that can forgive you of everything you've ever done, when you receive him as Lord and Savior, instantly 
the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. Because by the blood of Jesus, he declares you righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did, positionally. And then the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when you repented of sins and the Holy Spirit took over? He literally just filled you up. Now, you may not have had an emotional experience. You may not have felt warm, fuzzy feelings, but you might have been six years old and the Holy Spirit, you might have been 66 years old. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. If you are a follower of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit now lives with inside of you, in your heart. This is one of the most radical differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you and I know anything about the Bible, we should know this fact very clear. There is a major shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that has to do with the proximity of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, you see in Genesis chapter two that the Spirit of God was hovering in the cool of the day and walked with Adam and Eve in a powerful way. Then there was the fall, you know, Eve blew it for everybody, right? This, this chick, I mean, she just, and her husband who was with her, okay? Hey, guys, you're not off the hook. The, the dude was there the whole time, and bro, check this out. He had every chance to cut that snake's head off, and he didn't. He was a wimp, so don't, anyway. So the Spirit of God was there, and what we learned very clearly is that as the Spirit of God through the Old Testament is becoming more and more vivid, and you're starting to see his characteristics, it get, you get to the prophets, and the prophets are shouting, saying, listen, you can't obey the law. You're trying to do things in the flesh. There will be a day, like it says in Joel, when all people of all races, the manservant, the woman servant, the old men, the young men, women, children, will literally experience the Holy Spirit of God. So the Old Testament view of the Spirit is seen Slightly, but the prophecies, they're like saying, just hang on and wait. And then you see in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two, verse 38. Listen to what Peter says. Repent, okay? Uh, when you're coming to know Christ, you literally are saying, I give up all other options to satisfy me. I give up all other options to save me and I turn to Jesus because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords from eternity past to eternity future. We just sang a song earlier that says, I'm joining the song that began before I was alive, right? And so that's what we're talking about. This whole story of God's grace and the spirit of God that existed. And so I'm repenting that anything else can satisfy me, nothing else can save me, and I'm turning to Jesus. So I turn, which means to repent, that's all repentance means, is to turn from self and sin to the Savior, which is Jesus. And so here's what Peter says, repent, Peter says to them, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let's break this down. So remember when Jesus was baptized, Jesus uh, had, had, you know, John was baptizing and he was saying produce fruits of repentance and then he, he talks about there will be one who's coming whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie and then all of a sudden he sees his cousin, Jesus, 
who's six months younger than him, comes, for, comes up and he says, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, 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 no. I should be baptized by you. You existed before me. I'm unworthy to untie your sandals. And then Jesus is baptized. He says, John, you gotta do this to fulfill the law. And he was baptized. The father said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, here's one who will baptize you with water, but one is coming that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so when we talk about baptism and water baptism, it must bring up a vivid picture of the Spirit of God. Just like you are drenched in water, the Spirit of God drenches you. So when you're reading these passages in Acts and the epistles, and it talks about the baptism, it's a whole package. It's not just getting wet. It's all the teachings of Jesus of the significance of baptism, dealing with the Holy Spirit of God that regenerates you, changes you, transforms you. It's not just getting wet. It's receiving the fullness of God. That's what it's talking about. I think it's a good deal. So he says this, Jesus forgives you of all of your sins and you will receive the gift. You don't earn it. It's a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's our gift. He indwells every single believer. What does that do to you to think that? That God lives inside of you. I mean, can you imagine God trying to get people to obey? You know, man, you're messing up again, you know, and then, and then they would repent, and then they'd mess up again, and then they would repent, and then he says, you know what? I'm just going to come live inside of them. It's like having the law written on your heart. That's what it says. That's what the Old Testament prophecies are all about. It's not going to be an external law. It's going to be internal, and that the Lord in his presence and all the benefits comes and lives inside of you. Now, just think what it does to you and it does to me, but imagine how we see the person sitting next to us. They're incredible. Maybe even those that you think, you may not, you would never voice this because after all, it's just wrong to say this, but you might think it, that you're better than someone. God forbid you'd think that, but you might. But when you think of God living in another believer and another Christian, how dare I say or think something like that? How dare I feel comfortable of living in a really nice house when my brother's living in a box under a bridge? It's the Imago Dei, the image of God and the presence of God that's in every single believer that we honor and we love. Number three. So the Holy Spirit, oh wait, wait, wait. Let's look at some pictures. Watch this. These are pictures of some pretty cool churches. I think that one's in Boston. I mean, let's go to the next one. That one's in San Fernandino, is that how you say it? It's called The Mission, just a beautiful uh, old, old church. And when you go in there, you just wanna go, oh, I mean, it's just really awesome. Let's go to the next one. I mean, wow. I mean, can you imagine, like, okay, you, could, you just open that door and, just, and you walk inside and it's just quiet. And you just, you, if you're not a praying person, you go inside that room and you just go, man, I wanna pray. Let's go to the next one. Just spectacular architecture. You know, when you, when you look at that, and <clears throat> many, many men and women in the design of this and the core of this were thinking, how can we give glory to God? And then the next one, which is my favorite. No, not the, this, this is a good one, but it's not my favorite. <clears throat> I mean, 
It's spectacular. When you drive by that building, you go, man, that's just drawing me inside to come spend time with God. And you drive by that and you go, that's a church. And then here's my favorite. Isn't that awesome? That's in the Grand Tetons. I mean, I, 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 when I see that, I'm like, I want to drive my bike up there and I just want to go in there and pray and read and spend time in solitude. And so we think those are fantastic churches and they bring all kinds of awe and inspiration because it heightens our imagination. But here's the truth. None of those are churches, okay? This building isn't a church. We, that's our vocabulary and we are just absolutely wrong I mean, if you know anything about the New Testament, Old Testament, you know that, that God isn't in a proximity or a location that you go there so that you can meet with God. God is now in our hearts. And so Jesus is the foundation of the church, not a pillar, not concrete. It's not brick and mortar. Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter that you and I being filled with the Holy Spirit, joined together by the Spirit, on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, being covered by the blood of the Savior, we are the church, and it makes all the difference in the world. You don't go to church, you're to be the church. Now listen, when we get together, there should be a lot of, oh, I mean, it really should be really cool and classy, and, and, and I don't mind going to places that help my imagination and heighten my awareness of the presence of God, but it's just imagination. That's all it is. This room is not a sanctuary. This heart is a sanctuary. Your heart is a sanctuary. The glory, according to 1 Corinthians, the glory of God in jars of clay. That's powerful, folks. It is radical. I mean, I mean, but wasn't Jesus radical? I mean, when he came to turn the world upside down, it's not about going to visit God. It's like, God, take over my life. Okay. He also, he feels, he, not only does he indwell every believer, but he fills every believer. So there's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Say indwell. That wasn't good. Say indwell. God indwells every believer. Say feel. That's completely different. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the constant activity of the Spirit filling up every area of your life. It's possible for a Christian to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a marked difference. It's a different vocabulary. It's a different theology that the Bible brings out. And we are commanded to be filled. Ephesians 5.18 says this, and do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery or reckless living. Instead, be filled by the Spirit of God, or but be filled with the Spirit of God. That is the manifestation of the activity of the Lord taking over your mind, your will, and your emotion to where you willingly yield that direction. Now here's the background between this verse. It's a powerful passage of scripture. But Ephesus was a very pagan city. If you go there now, you can find this major uh, place of worship to the goddess of Diana. And there was a lot of uh, priests that literally were prostitutes. There was all kinds of debauchery going on. The Bacchus feast was there. And people would get intoxicated with alcohol. And then they would begin to do all of their worship. And so Paul is saying this. It's not alcohol that leads you to worship. It is the Spirit of God. Do not be under the sway of wine, 
but be under the sway of the Spirit of God. And then he says this, be continually filled with the Spirit. This is a present active participle. It's a a very unique structure in the language. The Greek language is very specific. It's also in a passive way. So I actively put myself to where I'm passively being filled. It's like the way you get your car washed these days, right? So you, you may be old school and drop the coins in there and you're actively, actively washing your car. Or you actively, passively get your car washed. By you're at the pump and you just say, I want a car wash and you fill up your tank and then you get a free, not a free car wash, but you get a car wash. I am actively paying for my car wash and then I drive my truck and I get it right in line and I put it on that conveyor belt because that person up there is going, no. (laughs) And so I actively place myself there and I read the sign, put it in neutral, I put it in neutral and guess what I do? I just let sit back and listen to the music and I passively wash my car. This is how you are to be filled with the Spirit. The Word of God says, no, this way, no, no, come this way, straighten up, buddy. And the next thing you know, as you begin to exalt the Lord, as you begin to put on the Word of God, you saturate your life in the Word of God, then you are passively being filled with the Spirit of God to where He's taking your mind because your mind is saturating with Scripture. He's taking your heart because your heart is being changed. He begins to take your hands because you can't stand to do nothing when the Lord has your mind and your heart and you do it. And next thing you know, you're full of the Spirit. You may not even know it. You may not even know the time, boom, all of a sudden I'm, <laughs> I'm filled and then boom, I'm not. No, it's just something that you just notice. It's kind of like when you wash your hands in the bathroom and there's no towels, right? And then you leave and you're like, oh, man, you don't even want to get the door and so you're doing this and you're walking out and then you're going, I wonder how long it's going to take for these hands to dry. And next thing you know, they're dry and you don't remember when they got dry, right? Does that ever happen to you or is it just me? All of a sudden, I'm like, I got hit wet hands, I got wet hands, and you're talking to somebody, and you go, hey, my hands are dry. When did that happen? I don't know when that happened. It just happened. That's what happens with the Spirit. Next thing you know, you have more patience than you ever thought you would have. You have a greater love for people that you should, and you, you have more joy, and you're just looking back at the day, and you go, you know what? Pretty good day. It's interesting that I was having a problem, and all of a sudden, the Scripture just came to me. Somebody came up to me the other day, and they, this is what you might be thinking, and they say, you know what, when you, when you quoted that verse, you have no idea what it did to me, and that is the Spirit of God in you ministering to people everywhere you go, and you don't always acknowledge it. It just happens. So you're to be filled with the Spirit of God. Also, number four, the Holy Spirit transforms Christian, Christians. The Holy Spirit transforms Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's worthy of a, of a sermon just right there. The Spirit of God will bring you freedom as you're filled with the Spirit. Are you wondering what you're free from? What would you like to be free from? Anger? Resentment, a past, bad decisions, the pain of getting stabbed in the back. Spirit brings freedom. You may be here today and you may say, you know what, I don't mind hearing all those Bible verses, but I'm, my life is a mess. Yeah, why is it a mess? What is it that's sticking you? When we talk about the Spirit of God, we're talking about freedom, joy, 
to where you are more excited about the future than you are regretting the past. Freedom. Talk about a sin that has you entangled, a habit that trips you up here and there. We're talking about the Spirit of God bringing freedom. Verse 18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed. That, that's, that comes from that word metamorphosis. You, there's a metamorphosis taking place within your heart. You are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is changing you. Man, I know you're great and you're fantastic and some of the greatest people that I know in the world are right in this room. But God wants to transform you even more. If you haven't noticed greater conviction and greater love and peace and joy and you're not growing, then it's it's a sign that you're not being filled with the Spirit of God. If you are content with being the same old same old, then more than likely you're not under the sway of the Spirit of God. But under the Spirit of God, under that sway, under that movement, you and I, all of us, are being transformed. Metamorphosis. One of my prayers is, God, make me the pastor that this church deserves. Make me the spouse that my spouse deserves. Make me the employee that, God, you want to bless my company. And just make me the neighbor, whatever. Make me the, the child. Make me the student that you have in mind. And the Lord is to transform you. And let me say this. You may say, okay, Brother Mac, if, if that's true, that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, and the Holy Spirit is to fill all believers, and the Holy Spirit is to transform all believers, then explain this bozo I live with, or this bozo I work with. Explain that one. In fact, I remember when I was younger, much younger, uh, if I use the word was, it has to be when I was younger, right? It's like I showed somebody a picture, and I said, hey, this is when I was younger, and they said, aren't all pictures of you when you're younger? So when I was younger, knocking on doors and came to the door and somebody, I said, hey, we use this line, hey, do you faithfully attend a local church? We're just meeting people. And this person said, you know, I used to go, but the church is full of so many hypocrites, I decided to not go back. Have you ever heard that one? And I said, well, you might as well go to church with a few hypocrites instead of going to hell with all of them. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't the right thing to say. Wasn't the right thing to say, I admit. Uh, so a more mature brother was there and he said, well, wait, let's, let's look at it this way. Um, I sin, but I'm not a hypocrite. And I'm like, wow, that's a bold statement. And I just kind of stepped back and, and she said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, look, uh, I'm a, I do sin and I'm sure I'll let somebody down somewhere and I'm sure I'll be a disappointment to somebody somehow. So a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. They say they're perfect, but yet everybody knows they're not. I'm telling you right up front, I'm not. But how do you explain, if we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, how do you explain some people that just don't act right? And if you're around Christians, if you go to a church, which apparently you do, (laughs) um, then you're going to meet people that you just look at and you go, hmm, that didn't sound right. I don't think they're acting right. 
That, that didn't feel right. How does that happen? Let me explain it to you. It's like this. I'm going to show you a slide. Now, this is a slide of someone who was lost. This comes from Bill Bright, guy who started Campus Crusade for Christ, crew. And so it's a beautiful picture, and it just reminds us. If, if, some of you have probably seen this before. Some of you may have never seen this. But you know that Jesus is Lord, and he has a throne, and you have a throne on your heart. And so the decision in your life is, who's going to sit on the throne of my heart? This person doesn't know the Lord. S stands for self. Christ is outside of the heart. This is not a Christian. And this is just a simple illustration. All analogies break down somewhere, so don't try to pick it completely apart theologically. Just follow me here, okay? So Christ is outside. This is a person who is not a Christian. And then all those little dots inside the blue are just the priorities of life, the interest, your, your, your decisions you make, and it's just out of kilter. So when you try to run your life as a lost person and Christ is outside, there's no hope. All of those small rocks, big rocks are gonna be all messed up. Your priorities are gonna be screwed up. Nothing's gonna work. Now let's look at the next one. This is a Christian that we just talked about who's a little bit disappointing here and there. And that's because they are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in them, they are saved, but they put themselves in the driver's seat. They themselves are on the throne of their own heart. They want it their way, they want it now. They, they might act godly on the outside, but on the inside, they're legalistic, they got this bad attitude, they have the impure thoughts, jealousy rules their life, they might be strapped with guilt, they worry all the time. There's discouragement, critical spirit, frustration, aimlessness, fear, ignorance of spiritual things, unbelief sometimes, disobedience, loss of love for God, a horrible prayer life, and no desire for biblical studies. You just go through the motions. You believe you got your fire insurance when you die and you're gonna run your own life and the Lord is sitting back going, you're gonna mess things up real quick. And you have. That's why there are certain Christians, and the Greek word for these kinds of people is bozo. <laughs> Just a Christian who isn't on point. Now let me tell you, I find myself here sometimes, I do. We all do, right? And if you stay here long enough, you begin to think the Christian life is powerless. You begin to think that your way really is right. And, and what's worse, is for me to think that my thoughts are God's thoughts. <sighs> what an idiot. For me to think that I can think like God, instead of just submitting to Scripture, trying to run and rule my own life, I submit to Scripture and I say, look, if it says it, that settles it, I'm gonna do it, period. If you can trust God, if you can trust Jesus to save your soul from hell, can't you trust him to run your life on earth, right? Because he is magnificent. Hasn't he proven that he loves you completely and that he has your best interest in mind? Hasn't he proven that he has all the wisdom and all the right to rule your own heart, but you must allow it? Now, let's look at what a Christian should look like. That's it. So you got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Life is Christ-centered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You introduce other people to Him. 
you have an effective prayer life, you understand God's will, you trust God, you obey God, man, it's just good. This is where you need to be. You, you, you need to live here. And, 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 and you get there very, very quickly because the Lord transforms you. But then fifthly, look at this. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts. It's given to all Christians. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, but one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each one as he wills. And this is the context of God giving you gifts. So can you imagine, God has given you a gift, and don't you think you want him on the throne using your gifts instead of you on the throne? And then also, number six, the Holy Spirit gives the fruit of the Spirit to all believers. Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, so it's one fruit, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Spirit is on the throne of your heart, then these are the things that come out. But verse 15 of Galatians 5 says it this way. It says, the deeds of the flesh are obvious, and it's things like just bad stuff, anger, horrible stuff, like gluttony, like disrespect, disobedience to parents, and then adultery and murder and hatred and all these things, and they're all grouped together. And one of the biggest problems of being filled with the Spirit is we classify sins as small sins and really bad sins, but actually sin keeps Jesus dethroned from your heart no matter what sin it is. If it's selfishness, if it's criticism, if it's anger, even the kind of anger that half of you never show, it's internal. The other half, we show it. The other half, it's called passive aggression. It's still anger, and it's keeping Jesus off the throne. So in Galatians chapter 5, you have the deeds of the flesh over here. Verse 22 says, here is the fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm walking in the flesh, it reminds me I'm not being filled with the Spirit. And when I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, then it reminds me that the Spirit of God is in control. Christian, listen. The Spirit of God wants you to bust with the fruit of God. Just bust open. And it's for you. It's for me. Man, you know, we, we think working out and putting on fancy dresses, at least for half of us, and dolling up or duding up, whatever that means. We think that makes us attractive. Uh, you, put, you put a dress on bitterness, still ugly. You get a fancy hairdo on a dude that's all about rage and anger, still a mess. But you take a woman of God who has this internal beauty and people are just attracted to the presence of God. That's how the women of old used to do it. It's not about the outside, it's about the inside and who you are. And if you're young and, and, and you're in school and you're thinking about who to date and who to look, man, I'm telling you, you search for the presence of the fruit of the Spirit and God will do great things. And then number seven, look at this. The Holy Spirit unites the church. Ephesians chapter four, verse three and five. Diligently keep the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. 
So the Spirit binds us together. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. At your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, once again, read the whole message of baptism into this word, talking about the regeneration of the Spirit. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. He's talking about unity. The Gentiles and the Jews, those that war against one another, they now love one another. So you show me a church that's dying or plateaued, and I will show you a church that has disunity. You show me a church, you show me a body of believers that has the Spirit of God, and there is a union of love to where you put the interests of others above your own, then I'll show you a church that's able to lead other people to Christ that fast. See, one way to get the Spirit of God to depart from the body of Christ here, I'm talking about the fullness of the Spirit, you bring in disunity. You look at the book of Acts and the time they started grumbling with one another, no one was saved, Acts chapter six. When they got things right, then it says they began to multiply because of the love for one another. And I'm telling you, having a desire for one another is huge. To me, I, there, was a, there was a guy I was talking to and he was, he was attending here and he said, man, I don't ever want to go to a small group. Why? Well, it seems like I always get into arguments. Oh, you, get in, you always get into arguments? Do you think maybe you're the problem? Do you think that maybe you, I, I said this, he don't come here anymore, but I said it, and <laughs> I just said, no, listen, honestly, if, if, <clears throat> if everywhere you go there's always a problem, then maybe you bring it with you. And maybe, maybe, God is using these other people to shape you and mold you and change you. See, God works through simple conflict. He does. And so as you begin to press in towards one another, and I love my brother more than I am swayed by problems, and I know we're going to work it out, it just works. Jesus said this, you will know, the world will know, that you are my disciples if you love one another. The fastest way to reach San Angelo is for us to get involved in small groups, Sunday school, life groups. I guess I could honestly say the fastest way for you to grow in the knowledge of Scripture, the, the, the fullness of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and in unity is for us to really spend time with one another and to live life together. You know why I say that? Because this is what the Spirit of God wants. He wants you in relationship with other believers that are pursuing the same fullness of the Spirit. And God will change you. Well, let me, you know what? You're probably going to be around a year from now, probably. And if you're not, you ought to take it even more serious. Why not be here a year from now and watch what the Spirit of God does when Jesus is on the throne of your heart and how He will change you? Some of you are going to be confronted with decisions that if not for the Spirit of God ruling in your life, you're going to make the wrong decision. The Lord is going to place you in relationships or where you're in able to influence some person 
And if not being under the influence of the Spirit, you're gonna miss that opportunity. In fact, I would go as far as to say, just because I've been doing this for a long time, that there's gonna be opportunities that are gonna come up that's gonna bring a wedge between you and the people you love most. And if, if not being filled with the Spirit and not following the Lordship of Jesus, you're gonna mess it up. Life is that fragile. And there are decisions that have to be made every single day, and I would really challenge you to be full of the Spirit of God. How do you do it? Well, here's what you do. <clears throat> every day you get with the Lord. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you. You just set aside for a few minutes and you just do nothing, you think of nothing, and I do know that's difficult. But you just clear your mind. And then you, you think about some scriptures, you might just hum a hymn or hum a song and you just allow the Lord to have room in your heart, and then you begin to read scriptures. And as you're reading the scriptures, you're not reading it necessarily for theological content, you're, although, the, although learning about God is great, but you're learning it for transformation. Lord, where do I need to change? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? And you allow the Lord to dwell in your heart through scripture. That's what you do. And you literally begin to pray and you exhale any sin. Just say, God, forgive me of this, forgive me of that, because your scripture has drawn it out. And Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your infilling. I receive your will. Rule my life. And you start doing that every single day. And next thing you know, your hands are dry. <laughs> next thing you know, the Lord is just walking with you. And your anger seems to subside. You have more control. You're a little more kind. And you keep growing from glory to glory, transformation to transformation. This is how it's done, folks. And if we're going to do this, let's do it. Let's jump in. Let's get saturated with the reign of His Spirit. And might it fill our church and we just be just five slamma jamma Christians, right? And we take it to the enemy. We are warriors that must be empowered. We are the body of Christ. And we gather together, we exalt the Lord's name, and we have a spirit-filled worship, we have spirit-filled families, and we live spirit-filled lives everywhere we go. Are you in? Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamida's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.